0: My name is Ben Campbell, and welcome back to The Self-Made Theory. My guest this week is Dr. Alex Grant, who's the CEO of a company called Miriota. Miriota are an Adelaide-based tech startup company, and they're developing technology for the space and Internet of Things industry, and have recently attracted US $15 million in Series A venture capital. In this episode, Dr. Alex and I cover a range of topics, including how Miriota's technology and IoT is going to change the world, and why, regardless of the patents you hold, the most valuable intellectual property you have in your company is your people. And just because you're an expert in one part of your business doesn't make you an expert in everything. It's such an exciting time in Adelaide and South Australia, and examples like Miriota show us that we have a great future in the technology sector. Enjoy. Welcome, Dr. Alex Grant, to The Self-Made Theory. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. (laughs) um, uh, It took us a little bit of time to uh, get this together because you've been a pretty busy man over the last uh, few months. Yes, yeah, that's right, I guess. Raising a bunch of capital does it (laughs) to (laughs) you. So we'll get into that in a second, Mm. but I'm really keen. Is uh, What's what's the elevator pitch on Miriota and uh, Dr. Alex Grant? Yeah, Miriota is all about providing...
1: Uh, connectivity for the Internet of Things uh, in areas of the world that right now don't have a cost-effective way uh, of connecting all kinds of sensors and devices, Uh, mainly focused at uh, businesses. uh, And the things that we deliver are global coverage, a long battery life, and a low cost. So the, the three elements of a service that those industries and remote areas are really looking for when they're deploying Internet
0: of Things solutions. Mm. So I imagine there's probably a few people that are listening to this that don't understand what Internet of Things is. I do. Can you perhaps give some examples of maybe even use cases on what what is the Internet of Things?
1: Yeah. So in contrast to... Uh, human communications like voice or video that we're all more or less used to in our day to day interaction with uh, the internet. Internet of Things is focused on machines and devices uh, that are uh, using quite small amounts of data for industrial purposes. So, what's some examples of that? Uh, agricultural applications like monitoring uh, livestock water in tanks or in troughs. Uh, monitoring the livestock themselves, and perhaps even doing things like monitoring broad acre soil moisture level. So uh, applications where just small bits and bytes of data, but from far-flung and wide areas, uh, have a, a large impact into improving business efficiency or productivity, You know, improving how you do business. Um, other examples are things like tracking uh, all kinds of equipment, either for construction or uh um, you know, mining types of operations uh, or for uh, freight and logistics, um, where that might be easy to do in an urban environment, uh, but as soon as things are going across seas or in remote parts of the world, that's a little bit more difficult. Mm. And again, you just may want to know where something is. You might want to know how long a motor or a generator has been running for preventative maintenance.
0: So, if I'm a farmer, so I grew up in Mount Gambia, so lots of friends mm. had farms both. <laughs> Predominantly cattle farms or, or dairy farms. Yeah. Well, I'm monitoring the livestock, but what am I monitoring? What what information are, are these sensors sending back? Yeah, to so me? some of the
1: early use cases we've had are things as simple as monitoring uh, the the water tanks that the that that fill the troughs that the livestock drink from. Now, uh, you know, livestock drink. Really, you know, hundreds of litres uh, a day, uh, and we you know amongst the whole herd, you can really drain a tank, and particularly if that's not being filled from the bore uh, or something's broken, uh, you'll very, very quickly drain a large tank. Now, the way that that's currently monitored in most remote properties is manual site inspections. Farmer, so, farmer jumps on his motorbike, bends gets around. on a motorbike, drives around in a Land Cruiser, puts a ladder up the side of the tank, and has a look. Yeah, um, and on larger properties that can be a full-time job uh, for a station hand, just driving around all day, every day, checking waters. Because uh, you have to do it, um, but you know that's a significant cost and time overhead. And you're doing that quite sporadically. So you're, if something goes wrong, you're finding out um, you know, uh, quite a, a long time after the fact. Could be days. Could be days, yeah. exactly. And you've got your livestock that are already uh, in stress from not having access to water. Uh, so doing something as simple as putting a water level monitor with uh, a connectivity solution provides a lot of value and it's, and it's really transformational, it's very exciting to uh, interact with the farmers that have uh, got a taste of this now in our pilots where you can just see it's changing their approach to how they're managing that, that resource. Um, they're getting the data more frequently, more reliably, and they're getting it electronically as well. So it's at their fingertips on their phone um, either back at homestead, or you know, if they're travelling, uh, it just gives them peace of mind um, to manage that
0: resource. Well, that's amazing! Because one of the things I think with any farm is leaving the farm to do anything, uh, mm. and and if you're a farmer, you know taking two weeks off and leaving one or two mm. people in charge is always always a concern for farmers.
1: That, that's right. I think two of the uh, um, I think our favourite stories from the the. Uh, trials we had of water tank monitoring. Uh, the first one was the first time a um, our device picked up a, a failure. So it was a pump failure that uh, caused a tank to run dry. And the first instinct of the farm was, "Oh, hey, Muriota, your gear's not working. It's telling you <laughs> your tank's empty." I like, so, "Well, you know, maybe just go and have a look and just see what's going on because you know maybe something has gone wrong." And sure enough, uh, there had been a pump failure. Uh, tank hadn't been uh, fueled and, and that was one of those transformative moments where you see the light bulb go off and go, yeah. right, this is super useful and valuable. Uh, the, my second sort of favourite story from those trials was uh, getting um, some uh, photos sent from a farmer, just as you say, who had been taking a holiday, who's sitting you know, on the beach somewhere enjoying a drink and had sort of photographed himself uh, with our uh, application, that's a phone app, looking at his water, saying, you know, thanks to you guys, I can actually relax on my holiday.
0: (laughs) Which would be, I'm sure, a complete novel concept for him. That's fantastic. Mm. So I can imagine there'd be a lot of use cases we you're trialling, that farmers are trialling, that Mm. logistics companies are trialling, etc. I imagine there's lots of use cases we haven't even got to uh, understand uh, just yet. Uh, There's lots of predictions about Mm. where IoTs going to go and how many connected devices uh, we're going to have around the world in the billions and billions. Mm. Where is it in Australia at the moment? Why has Muriota been successful today?
1: Yeah, I think there's a number of, of reasons why Muriota is getting traction. Um, Muriota is a very customer-focused company. Um, that, that stems right back uh, to the the seeds uh, of the research program that eventually became Muriota, uh of of realizing that uh, there was a couple of impediments or roadblocks for the adoption of these technologies in remote areas uh, and they primarily came down to the cost of the hardware uh, to um, either the cost directly or in the cost to maintain it uh, and then the cost of the service uh, so uh, equipment you know that let's say costs a thousand dollars or more uh, and a service that costs a hundred dollars a month is just it just prices itself out of existence for applications that might require lots and lots of sensors, mm. uh, individual sensors. So, so for some applications, it's totally fine. You can use those solutions. Uh, but in applications where you're considering uh, deploying hundreds or thousands of devices, it just it doesn't, stack, doesn't up. stack up. The second thing is battery life. And this has been a, um, so both cost and battery life have been real challenges for satellite. Satellite's challenging because the satellites are far away. Um, If they're in low Earth orbit, they're 500, 600, 700, 800 kilometres away. Uh, And if they're in geosynchronous orbit, they're tens of thousands of kilometres away. So the signal's very weak, so you need to transmit using a lot of power Power. Mm -hmm. uh, and so forth. So that drains batteries. So this was the other sort of technological thing that we managed to solve, was being able to transmit to a satellite at very low power, uh, and then giving a battery life that's measured in years uh, rather
0: than days or weeks or months. Because I, sh- I assume days or weeks or months just doesn't cut it because you still then have to go travel around. That's use right. Use that farm example, travel around to replace the battery, recharge the battery. That, that's exactly right. that's doesn't so, make sense. Yeah,
1: and so you either need to go and visit the site to replace the battery, which for a water tank, well, you may as well just look in the water tank. Um nah. No, it kills the value proposition straight away. Yes. Uh, or if you then um, have what I kind of call escalation of infrastructure, which is, all right, well, let's not have batteries. Let's have a big solar panel. All right. So now we've got a, a big device. It's power hungry. Um, that's mounted on maybe a pole with a big solar panel. It's got a concrete slab that you now got to put a fence around it so that a cow doesn't come and tip it over. <laughs> Now, I'm not kidding. I'm actually, no. <laughs> I've actually heard this exact story of something that started out as kind of a modest investment, but then quickly the site install cost is $10,000. Which again blows that value Which again kills profit. it, exactly. Yeah. Um, so something tiny, long battery life, low cost, um, and, and that's not unique to, um, let's say, the the use cases that Mariot is addressing—that's that's Internet of Things,
0: generally, generally. speaking. Um, that, that's requirement. Yeah, absolutely. I think I first heard Internet of Things when I'm trying to remember the manufacturer bought out a smart fridge that you mm. could do stuff on. Which everyone at the time went, "Wow, that's amazing!" Yeah, but no one ever did anything with it. Mm. Is the Internet of Things now a real? thing like are we are are these just leading edge you know farmers or you know tinkerer farmers that are interested or are we going to see an explosion do you think in the real use cases yeah
1: i I think as as people get on to the uh, productivity gains cost savings of deploying these systems uh, i think we will have an explosion of these types of technologies uh you know the er early um uh Use case that were put forth for Internet of Things, yeah, focusing on, uh, let's say, consumer applications in the home. You know, some of which have come to bear, right? Things, um, you know, around the house like uh, smart lighting and, and whatnot uh, are um, lifestyle and convenience improvements. Perhaps some energy saving with through automation, no doubt. Um, so there's a whole category of Internet of Things there. Murietta is uh, much more focused on industrial Internet of Things. Where beyond, let's say, a lifestyle or convenience um, benefit, there's really a a productivity uh, enhancements or risk reduction, cost savings, uh, and then an interesting category of uh, looking at new business models that are enabled for the user um, through the application of the Internet of Things. So an example of that is uh, pivoting away from, for example, offering a, a a thing either uh, so some kind of equipment let's call it a generator as a rental or as a purchase uh, and instead offering a generator service um, based on the data that you get from that so you know how much it's being run in terms really, of output in terms, in terms, terms of yeah, output running it, time ex- exactly um, so rather than um sort of the old, old business model of i sell you an object um, there's now much more possibility of saying, well, I, I can sell you the service based on kind of how much of the useful life of that object you're really consuming,
0: um, depending on um, my monitoring of that. And that really changes the game because when you think right. about you know, the longevity of that device, it's yeah. directly correlated to how much that device is used. Yeah, and, and how it's being used. And, and how it's, it's being used. used. That, that's exactly right. And really, from a farmer perspective, all he cares about is throughput, is device. the service.
1: Or- on that's, that
0: generator. that's right. No, exactly. I think there's
1: a lot of a lot of applications like that. I think I think that's kind of next year. The you know the right now it's all about uh, efficiencies and productivity uh, improvements. You know, there's a lot of improvements. Uh, you know, in in logistics. So if you're looking at any kind of consumable, whether that's an you know some kind of um, Agricultural input, whether that's fertilizer or fuel, mm. things like that. That might be have a, a remote store. You know, you've got diesel tank, um, knowing what the level is. You know, something as simple as knowing the level in that diesel tank, uh, and in fact, even the provider of of that fuel or whatever um, substance it is, being able to say, all right, we know that in this area. They're starting to run out. They can start planning their operations, yep. start um, fulfilling the, the forward orders. Again, as a service,
0: um, starts becoming very interesting. Mm. Wow. So you referenced before about the seed of where Miriota mm. started. Can you perhaps take us through yeah. where Miriota began?
1: Yeah, I think Muriota is an interesting uh, story of the journey of commercialization out of an academic setting. Um, the seeds from Mariota were planted uh, in a research program uh, at the University of South Australia back when I was director of the Institute for Telecommunications Research, where I've been for a while, uh, and, and it was stimulated by a federal government investment into the space industry. Back uh, in uh, I think 2010,
0: through the Australian Space Research Program, a fair bit of talk about space at the moment. There, in, in the there, news there is, right?
1: and 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 it's kind of topical. It's it's um, one of these uh, cases where you know, you, with the benefit of hindsight now in history, you can kind of look at well, you know, what types of effects can these investments have. Um, so the. the We um, had a a number of commercial partners that we were considering doing some research in this general area, machine to machine communications. We'd identified this gap in the market for low cost, long battery life, narrow band data way back in 2010. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, this Australian Space Research Program came online. So we bid for some funds uh, through that program uh, and we were uh, eventually successful. Uh, and ran a uh, three-year research program really to de- develop a technology to address the three main issues that we saw, which was um, massive-scale global coverage, super-long battery life, super-low cost. Uh, and so we managed to do that. Uh, that that led to a uh, IP portfolio of 10 patent filings uh, and a um a pathway to commercialization. and commercialization was always on the cards for this program of work. I'd previously had some exposure to spin outs and commercializing things through my invol- involvement with another company, Coda Wireless. And when we got this um, funding from the Australian Space Research Program, it was of, you know, it was fairly uh, chunky research grant. and I looked at these funds and thought, well, it would almost be irresponsible to do anything other than to try and get an eventual commercial outcome on the back of this research. I really had a strong desire to see this not just result, let's say, in academic papers or reports that might add to the knowledge base and capability, but otherwise sit on the shelf. Uh, So there was a very strong impetus right from the start to say, right, we're going to identify a problem, we're gonna talk to prospective customers at the start of the research, figure out what the gap in the market is, what's the technology, technological roadblock, solve those problems, and then take the next step, raise money, spin it out.
0: So is that typical? Is that typical in the university space around research? Or, are you, or is this a bit of an anomaly because of you and others yeah, in terms I, of looking to commercialise that early on? I think there's a strong desire in the academic
1: sector to bring you know, inventions or you know new capability to market one way or the other. Um, let's say I don't see very often that kind of front-loaded approach where it's it's what I I now call premeditated commercialization, where you say, okay, I'm going to treat my research grant a little bit like a seed investment yep. uh, and get my minimum viable prototype, let's say, and then uh, take it forward commercially. So, uh, what, So what holds people back? I think um, it comes – so it's a little bit around the um, academic career progression in Australia. The um, academic system is a little bit of a closed system um, in Australia, and that that's you know, evidenced by data that supports that, that kind of point of view. Um, I think it's about 70% of um, postgraduates from Australian universities are employed in academia or government. Um, that's that's kind of the highest rate of retention of those highly trained staff by academia in OECD countries. Except, wow. Conversely, Australia's got the lowest uh, interaction rate between industry and academia in terms of collaboration. So you kind of have a, a bit of a, a almost a bit of a separation. Now, there's a lot of will on either sides of that story to change that going forward because I think there's a lot of benefit for that. But what it means today. Or at least, you know, maybe back um, when I was in uh, in the academic environment, is the you know the, the main line path to career progression in academia uh, is high quality research, win research grants, publish papers, yes. uh, sort of that sort of very classic uh, approach. And um, what we're seeing more and more these days is a is is a uh, a move to really be looking at the impact of that research. Now, there's always a tension there because the um, some research really requires a long time horizon to mm. come to fruition. Um, but you know, in some areas, it can be very fast, uh, and and that's the case for the kind of uh, research we we're in, where uh, you make a mathematical breakthrough uh, for some algorithm for signal processing. Uh, it gets built in software, so there's a really quick translation from idea to. Um, Implementation yes. That then becomes a product. You know, so it's very closely coupled. Um, so you're really pushing forward the, the boundaries of sort of that engineering practice, let's say. Um, but you have to mean to do that. You It helps so much to uh, do that on purpose rather than – and I think this is the way that a lot of research commercialization is done – which is a commercialisation office coming along after the fact and saying, "Okay, guys, invented anything good this, what, what, this week? What do you, right. <laughs> you got? All right, can we license it? No, okay, see you later. Oh, maybe this is interesting. License it now. There's a,
0: I think there's a place for that. Um, so the commercialisation arm yeah. of the university licenses, yeah. li- license the technology or the or the, yeah. the patent or how, does, Th- how that, does that? That's right. right.
1: So yeah. quite often that will be the case, right? So, um, but I think the the thing that's Interesting, there is that sort of becomes after the fact. Yeah, so you've got your researchers living in research world doing their own stuff, a little bit disconnected. Someone comes along um, pushing the broom after them, saying, What can we sweep up here? Oh, this looks interesting, right? Let's now shop this around. Yeah, and that's great. Every now and again, there's like a you know, a superstar hit out of something like that, Uh, but. What it prevents you from being is very strategic with, with the IP that you're developing. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a bit accidental. Yeah. Um, it becomes a bit hit, hit or miss. Um, and and you've got your, um, your technology transfer really consists of throwing the IP over the fence to someone to sort of commercialise it now on their terms, which is, I think, missing out for uh, where I think mm-hmm. the – the real opportunity for technology transfer, which is around movement of people uh, who can generate IP going forward, and, and really embody the capability mm. that produced the IP, um, and, and, I, you know, and I would say that the you know the, the most valuable thing that Muriota took when we spin out spun out of the University of South Australia was not the patents that was very valuable, but the most valuable thing were the um, handful of uh, staff that came and joined the company because that built the company, created then new jobs going forward, and created a capability in a commercial setting to innovate, which then just sets the tone for the company going forward. Um, then it has the additional benefit that now there's an innovative company that has a bunch of PhDs in it that are actually equipped to have a peer to peer research relationship with other universities. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really critical. That, that's how you get uh, really interesting uh, academic industry interactions when it's more of a, a peer-to-peer collaboration rather than a,
0: let's say, a, a research for hire, a um, buyer-seller kind of relationship. So, so if we think, I mean, if you think about the traditional entrepreneur and the uh, traditional innovation that comes in those large technology organisations that we. Yeah, that we see become very successful. There's often a lot of passion for the technology yeah. that we created in our garage, yeah. and now we've taken it to market. Now we've been really successful. Does that passion, because you've taken those staff out of the universe and they've been involved in the project uh, along the way, does that passion come through then once they once you start to commercialise it? Absolutely. I think
1: the uh, you know there's real intellectual ownership of, those, mm-hmm. of some of that technology uh, and a desire to see it succeed. Now, of course, in a startup environment, that can be risky, right? So mm-hmm. if you're too obsessed with the technology, you will just cause – you'll just trip over yourself, right? <laughs> you'll just burn cash uh, like this. So, so, so I think the um, – you know the the um, one of the early things we did as a company was really look at what our company values were going to be and how we were going to approach commercialization and – um, having been very customer focused um, was one of the things we landed on uh, but then also um, the idea of simplicity and keeping it real so understanding that you know that the stuff you know has to get to market has to get to market quickly has to solve a, a real uh, user problem um, which then ultimately addresses the sort of product market fit um, and then the stuff you know starts being a pull through by the market rather than a push through.
0: This episode of The Self-Made Theory is brought to you by Caparezza Espresso. I've been frequenting Caparezza for a long time, and when I say frequent, I'm there at least every day, sometimes two to three times a day. Why? Because their coffee is truly second to none in Adelaide. But what really stands out is their amazing service. Complete with traditional home-cooked pasta dishes, anti-pasta platters and daily specials, you will find an authentic Italian cafe experience right in the heart of the Adelaide CBD. They are also open Friday evenings for after-work drinks and pre-dinner nibbles. Just Google Caparezza Espresso for details, or you'll find them at 36B James Place in the Adelaide CBD. So, so what's the process? So. You realised you were onto a good thing. Mm-hmm. Some patents were were lodged and obviously approved at some mm-hmm. point. What's the process of taking that from the university and spinning that out into a company? How does that process mm-hmm. work and how does that get funded and do you have venture capitalists involved at that point or does that come later?
1: Yeah, so in, in Miriota's case, uh, we uh, had the seeds already of potential investors um, already during the research program. So one of the things I you know when I'm sort of talking to people about thinking about commercializing out of a university setting, you know, the two things you want to do, is figure out who your customers are and what their problem is, then figure out who your investors are. Yep. <laughs> right, <laughs> get those two things. And do those two things mm. before you know. Before you, you know, while you're actually doing the research, because then you're interacting with um, a couple of really key stakeholders. Actually, mm. um, so it, it was a uh, industry consortium project that we ran, and um, one of the um, uh, partners um, that came in at a sort of later stage for some of the uh, trials and demonstrations was a, a company called Exact Earth.
0: Uh, who have
1: a business in, in maritime vessel tracking, uh, and uh, they anchored
0: this a seed round in 2015. So, for those that under, don't understand seed funding versus yeah, so series so, A. Yeah, so some or? early
1: some early funding really to uh, take the uh, prototype um, that we you know so we got to prototype stage. Developed, you know, a bunch of math algorithms and then embodied that in sort of off-the-shelf hardware. shown that working uh, over live satellite links, which had been provided by this company, Exact Earth, and then really put spent a, a lot of time putting together a business case, a business plan for saying, "All right, this is what we're going to do for the next couple of years to take that package of IP prototype and so on, and really um, take it through to um, the stage of." initial product rather than initial prototype, Uh, an initial product that could be um, in the customer's hands, in the field, in uh, pilots, um, really looking at, okay, I guess proving out some of those use Mm. cases. One thing at this, you know, when you're doing research saying, okay, we think we've got something here, it's another thing to say, okay. Well, here's a big list of customers. Here's what they're doing doing uh, with the technology, and this is why they're using yep. it. Um, so, getting it to that stage—that was the the objective—and uh, then really uh, to set up for um, a an A series uh, investment. So, our, our our pathway, you know, it's not you know, there's many ways things like this can go. Was um, really a strategic seed round, uh, and then more recently, uh, just earlier this year. And a Series A round led um, out of Australia, um, uh, out of uh, institutional um, venture capital, uh, and then a a couple of um, strategic, corporate strategic VCs coming in uh, out of the US. Um, And then really now putting in funds to uh, get the product all the way to market, um, build out our infrastructure, and really start the scale up Mm -hmm. of the service offering offering.
0: So, imagine this whole process. This isn't just Dr. Alex with the company who's providing the investment. I imagine there's a bunch of people that are working through this process. Do you have lawyers involved do you have you know people who are specialized in you know commercializing you know i p how does mm. who's involved in the process yeah yeah
1: so um I think we received really good support out of UniSA, Mm -hmm. um, out of UniSA Ventures. So um, uh, the staff there um, with experience of uh, setting up companies and getting things going, uh, that really provided a lot of structure to to the setup of the company. Uh, And then outside of that, um, yeah, so various service providers, Mm -hmm. um, right, you know, from legal through to um, advice sort of on the financial modeling side of things. Um so, you know, we were, we were fairly uh, forthright in seeking that kind of uh, help because, yeah, you can't – well, it's risky to just try and do that yourself. You might be a technology expert. That doesn't make you an expert at writing contracts mm. and probably quite the opposite. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's – um, you know – those professional service providers around uh, in Adelaide that we could uh, look to, out of you know, uh, based on sort of networks that we already had or could be introduced via UniSA Ventures, and then and those you know developed into now just working relationships mm. with some of those providers going forward. Mm. Um, you know, um, going from a seed round to a, a Series A round of, of sort of putting putting that deal together, all the legal documentation, and um, getting that through.
0: So I can imagine on the day that you signed the contract for the Series A funding, which was a sizable amount of Mm -hmm. coin, uh, which was very exciting to hear. There was probably some celebration that day, I imagine.
1: Yes, it was one of these, like finishing the marathon. So
0: (laughs) you're very happy, but you're almost too exhausted to do anything about it. (laughs) And did did you wake up the next day and go... Oh my gosh! Now I have to run another marathon and get this thing, get this that, baby off the ground. That, that's it's a little bit like that, and so it's the phase we're in now exactly.
1: Where um, you know, landing the investment is not the end of the story. Actually, no. it's the start of the story. Absolutely. Uh, and so now, you know, now it's you know an exciting new phase of deploying those funds to build the company and scale the product out. So. Um yeah that's
0: that's super exciting, but is it a whole new set of activities now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I could imagine I could imagine. Mm. It's pretty exciting, and it's a fantastic story mm. for South Australia. Mm. There's been a lot of talk about space industry mm. in general. Uh, do you have any thoughts on where South Australia plays a role in Australia's space future? I, I think it's interesting, I you know people um ask about you know,
1: Australian space industry and you know, should it be supported and so on and, and you know Australia has a has a space industry right because of in spite of I don't know but you know there's a you know this wave of entrepreneurship and innovation particularly in the new space area so you know companies like Mariota whose business models are enabled by lower cost and more ready availability to space mm. via lower cost satellites, lower cost launches and, and that are commercially available. Um, so people are just running away, innovating and coming up with stuff kind of regardless. And, you know, I think there's a real opportunity here. You know, some, some of this, like Muriota, has um, long history. You know, Muriota, back to you know, ITR at UniSA that did the FEDSAT mission that runs a, you know, a a ground station, you know, that has a lot of, um, you know, has done support missions for uh, flights to the space station, you know, all all things like that. So quite a long history in space in Australia, connections to defence, all these types of things, you know, through to, you know, young people just getting ideas and just running with something right um, you know uh, out of other environments so it's it's really really interesting and there's a lot of opportunity the the interesting observation that you know I've been reflecting on on this you know the role for support in space uh, in Australia clearly muriach has been the benefit of um, government investment in the area through research grants um, both generically, out of a university setting and then specifically through the Australian Space Research Program. So you can really see that line of sight from, you know, there's a cause and effect. Mm. One of the things that, you know, I'd really like to see is the maturation of the Australian space ecosystem, the commercial ecosystem. Right now, we are a customer of, you know, a number of um, companies around the world to provide you know various components or services, whether that's a spacecraft component or some other um, service to do with launch or to do with operations. Um, and if and if you look at, um, and we're we're buying those from. Uh, other companies overseas, um, based on their capability, then, you know, how how long they've been doing it, what's the risk profile associated, you know, how much heritage have they got, if it's um, a, you know, a, a space component, how how is, how long is it flown for, things like that. And for some of those things, Australia's yet to get to that same level of, let's say, commercial availability of some of its offerings. And I think you know that's where we see that as Mariota as a company is benefiting directly from the investments that other countries have made in their space programs which have led those companies that we are now customers of to develop yeah. their systems for which we are now a customer okay right so i'd love to see the same thing happen here in australia where you know, if i'm buying a component from an overseas company whitewall there's the capability here in australia to do similar things but um, perhaps is not quite yet at the same level of maturity where for a commercial offering you have the confidence to say right i'm going to go to this company that's just down the road and buy this particular component but it's headed in that direction Mm. that's that's quite exciting Um, so you know i think space industry the new space industry is is emerging uh, kind of of its own accord Mm. and it's really as a country to the country really of how much uh, support they're going to give to that that industry
0: Mm. uh, it's interesting i heard Something the other day, and I'm trying to remember who told me. It might have been Joe Thorpe, taking mm-hmm. Tech NSA or somebody like that who'd mentioned that in South Australia there were 63 companies either directly involved in developing technology for space mm-hmm. or supporting companies yeah. that are. That's amazing in South Australia.
1: Yeah, extraordinary. You know, that, that's that's mind blowing, and and I'm sure the story is similar, you know, um, around Australia more mm. more broadly. There's there's companies doing everything from designing. Components for rocket engines using sophisticated numerical optimization and three D printing, through two companies designing entire engines and test firing them with a view to launch. Through two companies looking at opportunities for launching from Australia, New Zealand, already doing it. Um, so you know it, it can be done. It, it just takes a, a will and, and, and you know the, the commercial need to to do it.
0: Uh, but it's definitely exciting times, that's mm, for sure. It is. What countries around the world are doing it well, and what? How does their ecosystem differ from Australia? Mm. Whether whether that's either in the space industry or in the, you know, in the university, yeah. the commercial industry, in terms of the way they bring bring innovation to market. Yeah, I think um,
1: you know we interact quite a bit with uh, Europe, United States, Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, now, all, all of who you know, benefit from Various space agency type of programs, Uh, but you know there's there's a a number of, uh, for example, small satellites and nano satellite manufacturers, um, some in Europe, some in the US, uh, have now been going for quite some time, and are now really you know have sort of I would say uh, crossing that threshold from this is a startup that's come out of a university, yes, um, to now right this is a credible um, uh, company now. That um, you know, he's you know, this is they just happen to be in the business of selling bits of satellites or whole satellites, uh, and that that's pretty interesting. I think the really interesting one close to home is uh, is the uh, I guess uh, New Zealand environment with um, getting set up so that Rocket Lab, a US-based company with a New Zealand connection, could just you know say, all right, we're going to launch rockets out of here. And you know, from from my sort of outsider perspective, seeing okay, the the New Zealand government saying, "Yep, well, we're open for business. Let's make that happen. Mm. Let's just do it," mm. um, which is really interesting. Then you look at uh, you know still early days for them, but that you know that's a fair way down the track. I mean, they're they're getting their uh, launch manifest booked out, and you know, you know launches all coming up, and and that that's a that that's a incredible example of of the new space. Opportunities and economy at work, uh, and you know, in a pretty tough area, right? That's an area where if a government wants to make it painful, they basically make it impossible, and you move on. Say, so, right, we're not going to deal with you here. Uh, so that that's, I think, um,
0: I think really worth looking at and say, okay, well, you know, how, how did that happen? <laughs> Outside of the government making it difficult, yeah. how important is the government in any country yeah. in terms of investment and support? How important is that to bringing? space to life. As opposed to private industry like yeah. you know, Elon Musk. I think it's
1: I think it's um, really important. I mean, let's face it, if you're you know, sort of talking about SpaceX and Elon Musk, it's a commercial enterprise. Government's sort of one of their big customers, right? Yep. So again, um, so I think, you know, with with space in particular, so those sort of mentioning before, getting to your uh, first um, let's say product that's got some uh, flight heritage behind it so something you can offer to other to, to companies like Muriota who are more on the customer side okay all right I want to buy 10 satellites you know, I don't want to buy the first 10 you've ever made right so getting your product to that point of being able to um, have that commercially available and it's all tested and it's flown before and and so on so you know what are the options there you either um, sell someone on an investment to do that well you, that's what you're doing no matter who the investor is. Uh, but, uh, you know, frequently, internationally, uh, working in research environments with you know, a space agency or something like that as part of larger programs and then you know, get some of that technology advanced uh, down that track really helps. Mm. You know, and that, that's, that's the kind of thing I'd love to see just so I can be a customer for it.
0: Well, wow, that's uh, mm. it's a super exciting story, mm. Mariota. I can't ask you, I'm sure, what's next because a lot of that will be shrouded in secrecy as you develop, as you roll out your business plan. But as a proud South Australian, it's pretty exciting Mm -hmm. to see. What's happening? It's pretty exciting to see what you've done so far, and Mm. we're all going to be waiting, I think, with bated breath as to uh, what we see next come out of Mariota.
1: Certainly looking forward to the future. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, Um, it is. On our way now for sure. Yeah, fantastic. Watch the space.
0: Well, thank you very much for spending your time with us. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Who knew there was such exciting stuff happening in Adelaide with companies like Miriota? I love hearing stories about exciting tech companies that are changing the business landscape in South Australia in place of the traditional companies changing the physical landscape of our state by digging stuff out of the ground. It sure is exciting stuff. If you've enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate us or provide comments in your podcast app, or via Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email, podcast at theselfmadetheory.com. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming, and prospering.